Welcome to the Solid 60. It is episode 25, I believe. So that's kind of something. Quarter of a century in, episode-wise. I'm just going to chill here because I just did one like yesterday. No, I edit. This is how I work. I pretty much do one the day after I edit. So the last one's a bit fresh in my mind. It was pretty pretty good. Uh, the sound was alright. I managed to turn off the heater just in time for this one. That seems to help a lot. And it's not right under my chin because it just is way too noisy. The cat, I've just been procrastinating all day, other than work, getting in the way. I had to feed the cats, play with the little one, do some cleaning. But here I am, I can't put it off any longer. It's already a week overdue, so let's get into it on this Monday, the 24th of September. So we're flying through this month. Obviously, there's that effect of, as you get older, time is faster. It doesn't really move faster, it's just... Your perception of it because a lot of stuff I think your brain's on automatic pilot for things that it can just do without really thinking so it tends to uh, gloss over a lot of things that when you're younger are novel and exciting as these days it's like yep I've done that I've done this a million times so it all sort of blurs into one kind of messy memory uh, so today I'm going to talk about a few things I've got up to, mostly two of the movies I've seen, because God knows when I get a chance on Banana Split, we did do one recently, but still not this week, well, trying to make it weekly, but this weekend we just went over to um, Jaden's house for once, and he had a bunch of friends over, and we played Quiplash and some other trivia type game, which is really cool, had a lot of fun, but I had to get out of there pretty quick so I could go help my brother take down a boxing ring. There's something called Corporate Fighting that was held at the Star Casino. And yeah, that was brutal. We were there for about four hours at least. I mean, I came a bit early because Sean wanted to hang out. The other two, Steph's kind of his boss. This kid he uh, grew up with and uh, some other kid who was literally like 17. But it was big enough to help out and carry enough. It's pretty much just carrying things from the boxing ring itself. Once you take it down to some trolleys trying to get them into a lift and then getting all that stuff and the docks into the truck. So it's on the face of it pretty straightforward, but there's a lot of things falling off trolleys and lifts breaking down and people getting in the way. Uh, they finished a bit late. So yeah, I was there for quite a few hours and still took home $120 in cold hard tax-free cash. So I can't complain too much. I got to hang out with Sean and even have a bit of an incident where my car nearly got towed but thankfully the police seem to have my number on tap because every time I parked it somewhere really uh, in the way I get a phone call an hour later like once it starts pissing people off because uh, Sean managed to get me into the docks and of course there's still no obvious parking so I drove a little bit further up ended up right on like a curb walked around it and was like yeah they can get past people cars were cruising by so I was like oh, I'm okay but of course, it was a tow zone, and um, it took us 20 minutes to find the car again because I'd forgotten exactly how to get there. And uh, my brother and I just ended up running around the block a couple of times until we realized it was right almost where we started. Uh, we managed to come home with a giant sombrero, one of those Mexican hat things. Uh, Sean just had a, had a few drinks under his belt by the time I got there because I'd been at Jaden's and uh, somehow managed to get out of also going to see my sister because she was freaking out. She had a, uh, a fully-sized rat. Apparently it got into her bedroom, was hiding out in her closet, and pretty much expected me and Sean to drop everything and go over there. But uh, 
thankfully we managed to talk her down and it made its own way out I did feel a little bit like a shitty brother for not racing over but like it's just a rat I, I really didn't see the big deal uh, we both kind of assumed that she's a bit of a mess but apparently it's not a dirty house it's just some rats nearby that decided to wander in um, I'll take a word for it for now but yeah I have seen a couple of movies uh, the Friday I'd watched House with the clock in its walls so that was a bit of fun Jack Black Kate Blanchett some kid I've never seen before obviously you know they have to come out of nowhere those kids um, hopefully we'll see him again here and there because he really made it his own like he managed to outact the two other leads uh, there was a little girl that kind of had a crush on him and eventually of course ends up returning that interest but he's like 10 so they can only go so far with it it's all quite toy uh, there's one scene where Jack Black gets turned into a baby I don't want to spoil it too much but uh, he's just, he still has Jack Black's adult head but a giant, uh, tiny baby body. Uh, so that's a bit disturbing. And then when it gets reversed, he's basically naked cowering on the other side of this uh, bench. And he's like, yeah, can you throw me in my trousers? So we all managed to avoid having his nudity inflicted upon us. Um, though he seems to have... No, he's been pretty steady with his weight. Like, he's, he's he can run around and bounce off the walls and things. But I would never. I would, certainly wouldn't call him athletic. The fucking powerhouse of creativity and talent. So I can't be a total dick and be like, oh, who's this fat actor? Like he's obviously got that band, Tenacious D, and I think they did something recently. Love the guy. Love his work. I mean, it was pretty inoffensive as a movie. There's some silly jokes with the giant uh, line made out. It was like I don't know how to pronounce the word. Topiary. It's, it's basically like when they carve animals out of trees, like those giant hedges and uh, like old Edward Scissorhands style stuff and everything in the house was alive. So it was kind of a cross between a Tim Burton movie and what's that one with the Beauty and the Beast where everything in the house, like the chairs and all the furniture was alive. And the bad guy was played by Kyle McLaughlin from Twin Peaks fame and later on less kind of critically acclaimed in Sex and the City. So, yeah, he was quite... I mean, you didn't really see much of him as himself. He's obviously wearing prosthetic and a lot of other stuff, so it's a little hard to tell. But, you know, he does his best, given the circumstances, and had a lot of fun. Somehow I'm talking about that when I'm meant to be talking about The Predator. But we'll get to that. Um, because now I'm on the clock movie, I might as well go into the trivia, because I like looking at that on IMDB so I'll take a check it out your I've noticed when I type while recording I can barely hear it but of course once I play it back in editing it's fucking loud and of course I hear that quite a bit on Joe Rogan he'll just start banging away without any concern for the listener and recently I've been listening to I downloaded the entire back catalogue of Boneyard Arcade I think it's called they keep changing the names it's very confusing but essentially Black Cat slash Lucky Bones and Grim Bones, who had an SBS podcast for a while, and it seems like they've got this other one they were doing at almost the same time, as they're talking about going to Texas and stuff, it's early last year, uh, no sorry, I'm up to about early this year, and I can't tell if one stopped and the other one started, or they were kind of going at the same time for a while, but I know the SBS one stopped, because they were like, yeah, we're not going to pay for any more of that. And I lost track, and suddenly 
there it was sitting there in the subscriptions list and I was like hey I need to catch up but yeah it's been painful like the SBS one was fucking perfect I could still kind of get sweary and rude and crude and all that but it was like more on point and slick it was this one it's still quite short but like the last one I listened to was basically them drinking playing Mario Kart burping and yeah it wasn't great audio but I mean I love the hosts and I look forward to hearing their takes on different movies and things like I'm a big fan of Black Cat but yeah we differ a lot in opinions on terms of uh, in terms of movies and different things she's into but she's good at explaining why she likes or dislikes certain things so I'll still listen because I respect I can respect people even if they don't have the same opinion to a point as long as it's like she can justify it with however subjective it is there's still a certain logic to it that I can understand whereas there's been a whole thing lately about this uh, trailer for Christ Captain Marvel that dropped a whole lot of people making fun of her for not having enough facial expressions which is a bit strange and I even managed to go on and find a bunch of facial expressions and post them I that I've been with of course the old my nemesis Matthew Guy Nielsen I swear I'll have to have him on Banana Split at some point just to take him down a peg or two yeah he's like no she's just boring and she looks bored and it's like well why are you posting memes that say she only has one expression where I just took a minute to go and screen cap at least five different expressions from a you know one minute long trailer so what's the go there I don't understand why everyone's jumping on that bandwagon or well, not everyone but all the dicks and it's clearly not the case so I'm still gonna wrap my head around that but yeah I'm here for a clock uh, it's it's one of those long house titles the house with the clock in its walls it's based on a book apparently uh, I've never read the book or heard of it but must be quite good to have gotten a movie. Uh, so let's go into those sort of that background. And of course my phone's ringing. I'll be right to back. And we're back. So yeah, that was Karen. Of course, the only person that does ring me at home other than work. And uh, yeah, so apparently she got a job, which is quite good. I mean, it's not a completely new job. It's still at the same hospital, but uh, good for her. It's kind of a promotion. It's going to help out everyone concerned, I think especially who it all matters for. It's uh, Gabriel, little boy wonder. Anyway, clock, wall, house. Let's go. Eli Roth was the director. That's his first adaptation of a literary work. His first gothic work and his first family film, which is the most interesting thing to me because the only movies I've seen of him were like uh, Hostel and uh, I'm going to have to click on the damn. That's the only one I can really think of, and it's pretty full-on, and absolutely nothing like. Oh, and Inglorious Bastards, he was in it, as a freaking, one of the dudes that, he was like the bear. Grindhouse stuff, Cabin Fever, which, is that the one that he wrote with Josh Whedon? Writers, Randy Palestine, no, that's some other Cabin movie, Cabin in the Woods. So he's done well with his genre stuff, like lots of horror, lots of full-on, you know, line-crossing out there crap so to suddenly pull a family movie it shows a bit of maturity I guess hopefully not too soft uh, I liked it uh, what was the yeah, I can close his thing clock on the walls if I go back to like its main page I can see what the score was 6.3 from the critics I think well this isn't the critic meta score is 59 I think 6.3 is like 
people on IMDb. So I'm going to rate it. I'm going to give it a... Eight's probably a bit high. Seven? Yeah, I thought it was good. It was solid. Uh, there was nothing really groundbreaking about it, but for a you know movie to bring the kids to, Lewis enjoyed it a lot. I mean, the character has his name, so he was always in the bag for that. There's a bit of magic, a bit of this, a bit of that. It was, you know, roller coaster ride of fun. You couldn't really ask for anything more than that, I suppose. Not a huge amount of humour for adults, but uh, I think they did their best. I don't know how it did in terms of uh, did well financially. At one point, Jack Black can be heard whistling a piece by Bach. The same melody was used by Tenacious D. Mm, there you go. That's the kind of shit I'm here for. A 3D remaster of Michael Jackson's music video, Thriller, uh, will precede the film in IMAX. Well, we didn't get that, did we? Oh, but it makes sense they do one in 3D because there's a lot of stuff flying at the screen. Oh, his ex-wife, the director's ex-wife, sorry. Lorenzo Izzo plays Lewis's mother. That is definitely trivia. Uh, the director appears as Comrade Ivan in the Black... Well, I knew that. I pointed that out to Lewis. And he seemed suitably impressed with my knowledge of film trivia. The bus stops across the street from a theatre with the movie Spaceman from Pluto. I picked this up as well. The head of Universal Studios wanted Spaceman from Pluto to be the title of Back to the Future. Uh, but they kept the original title, obviously, thankfully. Uh, I think... Spaceman from Pluto, what I said to Lewis was it was in Back to the Future, like it was showing at one of the movies, or that's what Michael J. Fox's character said he was to uh, his father character in the movie when he sort of stood there. Now he called himself, not Darth Vader, but some kind of play on that, like how he goes back into the 1800s and calls himself Clint Eastwood. Um, not super original, but it was kind of funny at the time. The fictional house with a clock on its walls is based on the real-life Cronin Mansion in author John Belair's hometown of Marshall, Michigan. God, imagine what it looks like now. I wonder if it's one of those... Uh, every other house would look like that if it's going as bad as we've been hearing. Apparently there has been a resurgence, but I'm sure there's still a lot of really low-income housing, such as you would see in the recent documentary about the police force in Michigan pretty rough times they all just get laid off every couple of years uh skipped no sorry shipped to cinemas under the pseudonym kimono why would you do that i need to know famed goth artist edward gory did the illustrations for the book mm, i'll have to get that for lewis miss zimmerman boasts that she once melted salvador Dali's watch off his wrist that's kate blanchett's character while the film doesn't elaborate elaborate yeah i went fully aussie for a minute there elaborate it's implied that this moment inspired Dali's painting The Persistence of Memory, famous for its melting clocks, which I also explained to Lewis. So it was a good sort of... I had to make the most of my time. Pretty much all I had with him was... we As we got in, the movie was started because he was running a bit late. And then as soon as we got out, they had to rush down and get a bus. So As much as it annoyed some guy three rows back who told us to keep quiet, I'm pretty sure it was us because I didn't hear anyone else talking. We have to just... Lewis doesn't stop talking through movies. He's never quite been able to control that. That's He's definitely my son. And considering that's the only time I get to hear him, I don't really shush him too much. The story uh, was previously made as a television episode of CBS Library, 1979. Wow, I didn't know it had been around for that long. Uh, Kate and Kyle, who play rival magicians, have both been in Marvel comic book features as enemies of the protagonist. 
Blanchett played Hela in Thor, and McLaughlin played Calvin Zabo, Mr. Hyde, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., although he never encounters Thor. Ah, okay, well, I haven't seen all the S.H.I.E.L.D. series. I bought them on Blu-ray a little while ago, so they're definitely on the list. God knows when I'll ever get finished with Netflix, though. I still haven't seen uh, the second season of Ozarks. I didn't even have to type. I was like, yeah, just came to me. Uh, but I started watching called Mania or Maniac and it has of all people uh, and it's like a dystopian dark it's like sci-fi and it's sort of set kind of in the future but it basically looks like right now with a few slight twists um, but yeah Lindsay Lohan and the guy from so I'm gonna have to look up his name again a great actor he lost a lot of weight that's for sure he isn't super bad and a whole bunch of... No, you know what? It would be better if I type in something more contemporary, like Wolf of Wall Street. Because if I can look that up, his name should pop up pretty quick. It's right there in all the photos. Jonah Hill. There you go. So, I, I don't know if he's done a lot since then. But, see, that was, you know, five years ago. I'm sure he's done tons. Let's have a look. Let's go down some freaking rabbit holes. Rabbit holes, even. Because that's the last movie I saw him in, I'm pretty sure. God knows what he's done lately. I'm sure he's done plenty of things. But, uh, we're always, we've got three IMDb tabs open at the moment. Let's click on Jonah Hill. What's he been up to? Oh, he's looking good, though. He's looking real good. And, uh, yeah, what he's in now? Mania, I'm pretty sure it's called. It's not popping up here. I mean, he's got photos of him in it, but the title's not sitting right there I have to go to his 60 credits How to Train Your Dragon The Hidden World mm, The Beach Bum Lego Movie 2 the second part <laughs> cute He's playing Green Lantern Maniac TV miniseries there's Owen Milgram I like the character until his father's like you know we could give you like because you feel sorry for him he's living in like a shitty apartment it's very um it's sort of Blade Runner-esque in the sense that like it's just grungy industrial gothic like but also it feels like it could be now because it's all it's using like contemporary things but it's just all funneled into this really tiny little room and he's lying in the middle of it surrounded by windows there's no privacy uh, it's hard to explain you just have to watch the freaking thing it's it's really cool and Lindsay Lohan as angry as she is like she just plays this really angry junkie type woman who's got a dark past and just wants to get her fix, um, which is ironic considering her drug history. Hopefully she didn't screw them around on the uh, like filming of it because I know when her last couple of things were getting made, she had trouble turning up and being present, for want of a better word, but um, hopefully she's got her shit together. I know she bought some stuff. Uh, see if I go all the way down to the last one I saw which is Wolf of Wall Street yeah there was a Lego movie again as Green Lantern a, a voice thing in How to Train Your Dragon 22 Jump Street okay so that came out a year after Wolf love that movie True Story How Caesar Sausage Party War Dogs oh okay so I had seen that I forgot he was in that and it was really good and it was a good movie and Lego Batman Animals I don't know what that is wow he just keeps popping up in Batman things uh, but if I click on Maniac because now I can't help myself I'm there already I don't want to really go into 
spoiler territory because I haven't seen them all yet. But I'm kind of curious about some things. Like if I go down to trivia, let's see how much there is. It's a collaboration between Emma Stone and Jonah Hill. I don't know why I thought it was Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> That's as bad as my... Uh, see, I'm not racist. I'm just an idiot. That's as like last week with Michael B. Jordan mix up with uh, the other guy. <laughs> uh, see, I forget his name because it's a little bit funny. I'm not used to... Uh, the guy who played Black Panther. Now I have to type that in. It's gonna, I'm going to slap myself in the face because it's not even Chadwick Boseman. Like, it's not a black name or anything. It's just unusual. It's like almost if you didn't know who the guy was, you'd be like, oh, that's quite twee and British. Chadwick Boseman. But, uh, yeah, that's a similar kind of mix-up. I don't know how. Because if I look at sort of Lindsay... So I'm sure she was fine. She copped some slack for, like, um, Emma Stone for being in that movie where the character she played... She did a bit of a ScarJo where the character was whitewashed. And God knows what she's done then. Emma Stone. So let's look at them side by side. There's a lot of photos of them side by side and there's not a huge difference in some of those photos. They've both got red hair in a lot of shots. And okay, obviously Emma Stone got in a lot less trouble with the law. But yeah, some of these photos, I'm like, come on, forgive me. Emma Stone's obviously a bit more attractive. How do you say? Not that I'm one to judge. Nine celebrities who look alike. Lindsay Lohan and Emma Stone is one of them. Okay, so that vindicates me somewhat. I just remember sitting there thinking, gee, she's doing well for herself. Good on her. She's back. But maybe not. She'll, she's just got that club in Mekonis. Uh, so I'm not going to read any more because there's spoilers. But I will read spoilers for freaking House because I've seen it. Uh, it's based on 73 novel. No, 73. All right, good to know. In the scene where the bus pulls into town, there is Kripke Grocer. The screenplay is by... Oh, there's a Kripke Grocer, like the shop. The screenplay is by Eric Kripke. All right. Captain Midnight Dakota Pen is found in a jar of Ovaltine. In actuality, they were not included in jars of Ovaltine. People had to collect labels and then mail it away for one. The Dakota Pen would then arrive several weeks later. Yeah, see, I didn't even know that was a real thing. I thought it was just something they'd made up. So, you know, I'm impressed they even had a real thing, let alone... They didn't have to get exactly how it was delivered. Like, because if you have to wait weeks for it, that obviously wouldn't have worked in the movie because they needed one straight away. I don't know how the kid recognised the, you know, code. Like, he feels like, hey, that's that code that I've decoded already with a ring. Why wouldn't he still have the decoder ring? I guess he travels light. And that tiny plastic decoder ring wasn't going to fit in his luggage. The film is set in 1955, yet the school features several non-Caucasian students. This is only a year after Brown v. Brown v. Board of Education. So it's highly unlikely the school would not only have this high of a minority population, but also no discrimination of any kind. Yep, totally picked up on that as well. Who needs IMDb? I did forget to Google it, but a year after, I probably would have been like, oh, so it's okay then. But it did strike me as like, hmm, that soon. They're just integrated completely and seem like there's no... I mean, it's good. That's the way it should be. You should represent that in film. But if you're going to do something set in that time, yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's, it sort of seems like you're creating this mythical past that doesn't exist. 
Jonathan's last name is Barnevelt, the same as Lewis, but it's revealed that Jonathan is Lewis's maternal uncle. So Jonathan should have Lewis's mother's maiden name as his last name, not Barnevelt. Yeah, that seems like a huge one. Like it's also not a big deal, but it's... Wow, that's... Unless she married someone with the same, you know, surname. Which goes down a path we shouldn't go. They're frustrated to discover the rivals have been resurrected and wonder who could have done it. But there are no other magic users in the film apart from Jonathan. It shouldn't have been a mystery as to who did it through deductive reasoning and only a handful of magic users present. Yeah, I guess so. But, you know, he's a very trusting boy, LJ. And that's it. That's all. That's uh, as far as it goes with that. And I've already rated it, so... Moving on to The Predator. Uh, watch that Rith Roney, of course. A little bit mature for Lewis. I'd love to watch him with him. One day, because it was fun. I had a good time. It absolutely had not much at all to do with the three films it's based on, as in Predator, Predator 2, and Predators. It's fully referencing them, like there's a scene where some agents are talking to uh, the female character who's kind of a superhero, uh, and they're just like, yeah, they've been coming to Earth for a while, like 1987, 1997, and clearly it's gotten, and now, and it must be increasing in frequency. They're trying to say because of global warming, we're all going to die soon, so they're just jumping down as soon as they can. The analogy that he made was with the Twinkies rush. At the time, Twinkies was going out of business, so a whole bunch of customers bought as many as they could get their hands on. So it's a bit like that now for Predators. Nice little contemporary nod to global warming, but um, I really think they could have worked on that more. Like the, He was going to come down and give us, like, like there was this Predator, the whole story is basically a small Predator it's still taller than most people, but basically it's smaller than the average predator. Apparently it uh, has some human DNA, so it's like, yep, we're going to help out the humans. Not that it seems to be coming at it in that direction. As soon as it wakes up after being captured, it just starts laying waste to everything and everyone around it. But I suppose it's the overall, it knows that there's a bigger, badder guy coming. So it's maybe doing it to save, break a few eggs to make an omelette type thing. And it wants to get back to its ship so it's just on the run it's got to get its gear you know it's a real like elastic flexible thing in this movie with like time and space and seem to just disregard uh, but apparently it seems to have to go pretty far to get to the uh, stuff that it lost that our hero found and sent to his son of all people and that's what the predator is going after which of, a co of course attracts the larger predator that's like 12 feet tall or something and just completely smashes everyone and everything. Oh yeah, the one scene in the beginning where it was like, oh, I'm going to kill all the people um, to show that it maybe wasn't quite that vicious was where Olivia Munn, yeah, so she basically was getting dressed. She had to get out of this like room in the lab. She had to undress and get re like from the lab coat it was re really like a ridiculously convoluted way to get her naked, essentially. And she was crouching in the corner and the predator comes out, sees her there, just went, mm, not a threat, kept walking. So she's like, oh, so that's what I can do to uh, maybe it's not so bad. Because she's like a scientist, basically. Her only skill that she admits to 
is to being able to study alien species. Yet, she's also freaking Indiana Jones slash James Bond slash every other action superhero you could name and kick some ass, which is fine for the kind of movie it is. It's, it winks at itself. It's totally self-parody, which none of the other ones were to this degree. It's kind of like James Bond suddenly went and made Austin Powers under the James Bond name. But, you know, as long as you accept that and can roll with it and, and try not to get too pissed off that it's completely diverged from the main storyline, then that's okay. You just enjoy it for what it is. There's a couple of moments where it's like, oh, do you want us to laugh at that? Because suddenly you're trying to make it out all serious and make us cry, but we've come too far down this other road, so you can't just switch gears like that. Uh, but generally it seems to be consistent with tone. Uh, so anyway, the film was originally conceived as a reboot of The Predator until Shane Black, the director obviously was in the first one, as uh, Hawkins. He's basically just cloned himself for this one. Like He's made all the characters his character from the first movie because obviously he had the, the comic relief role in the original. Uh, until he came aboard and confirmed he would be making a sequel instead as he wanted to continue to explore the Predator mythology. Yeah, let's see how well that went. Jake Bussey plays the son of Peter Keyes, the government official from Predator 2. Oh, Jake Bussey. Sounds familiar. Is Benny Chance. Oh, yeah, who died during the hunt for the Predator. Peter Keyes is played by Gary Bussey, who is Jake's father in real life as well. Oh, okay, so that's pretty fucking cool. Jake Bussey, I'm just looking at him now. I'm trying to find a shot of him. Oh, that's why he looked familiar. He's this guy, he's like a crazy scientist. He's really just goes over the top with his acting and it works in the movie. I'm like, why does this guy look familiar? It's the son of Gary Pussy. And Roney was like, yeah, Starship Troopers. That's he referenced. I kind of like that. I like that a lot. I might tell Roney that even though he hated the movie for the reasons I mentioned and it wasn't funny enough for him to <laughs> overcome those problems. I think you might like that bit of trivia. Shane Black has gone on record stating he wanted this movie to be true to the spirit of the original and for it to be R-rated. It's an odd thing whether Deadpool helped is an open question, but I suspect it did. I made a condition uh, that it's going to be R. In other words, I don't want to cut away every time Predator does something violent. I was watching the American version of The Grudge, which is PG-13, and I remember being so frustrated by the fact that everything that was scary in the Japanese version, they cut away from in the PG version. See, there's arguments for that being actually a good thing because your imagination is often worse than what the movie would show but I can totally understand his unwillingness to compromise his ability to just do what he wants as an artist go for it man yeah there was some pretty over-the-top violence in this one but it was so splatter heads flying blood everywhere um so it's re really like creative deaths like there was one scene where there's a jeep riding along full of guys and the predator shoots this spear thing into a wall, which kills someone. And then it's like stuck in the wall. But it's it's like he doesn't just shoot a spear. It's attached to him by this long rope thing, which obviously is a pretty strong cable because the Jeep just flies along straight into it and they all lose their heads. And it's quite amusing. Shane Black wrote Thomas Jane's character Baxley with Tourette symptoms because Black has Tourette. Wow. I did not realize he actually has Tourette. So there you go. He was playing a really good Tourette's character. And I'm like, gee, I hope that's not offensive to people with actual Tourette's. But 
good luck with that because if you know he has it so I'd be curious to see if anyone got a little offended by that because you could totally own them with that knowledge after the success of Iron Man 3 god that was successful oh boy no accounting for taste with some people it was approached for 20th Century Fox with an Iron Man 3 size budget to direct a new Predator movie and he could not resist wow I don't think it would have done as well as Iron Man 3 uh, Arnie turned down the opportunity to return as Dutch well that's kind of a pity I mean, he's, uh, he pops up in every other iteration of Terminator, so I'm not sure why he's not showing up in these movies. I mean, Predator was at least as iconic as Terminator. Uh, didn't spawn quite as many sequels. Okay, there was a lot of sequels. I think Terminator's arguably more successful financially, even though none of the sequels quite captured the magic. Would have been good. Adrian Brody expressed interest in reprising his role. Uh, obviously that didn't happen. Shane Black was cast in the original film with the intention that he would rewrite the script. However, he chose not to do so. Hmm. He confirmed via Twitter that the film will not will be rated R. And just to be clear, PG-13 is for pussies. Spines bleed a lot. I am standing on set next to a seven foot tall gentleman in a predator suit. So no, it's not all CGI. Uh, confirmed the movie is staying true to the original. There's a lot of tweets here that obviously were posted before the movie came out. Because Benicio del Toro was originally supposed to star in the lead role. Well, let's just say I'm glad he was replaced. I don't mind del Toro, but he's uh, getting on in years, and I can't see him as being as quite as believable in the role that. No, I don't know. I just I'm one of those guys. Once I've seen it a certain way, it's hard for me to imagine it another way. Uh, it would have been interesting with del Toro, but and obviously he can be a badass if you've seen um, any of those recent movies with Cable. Oh, my brain, my poor brain. The one's Sicario and the sequel. He kicks some serious butt. But I don't know if you could say he's that athletic. I mean, he can shoot. But he's not like backflipping off buildings and things like that, such as in The Predator. He's sort of skateboarding on the top of a spaceship at one point. So, yeah, I don't know if that would have worked. When Casey Brackett first enters the lab, that's Olivia Munn. Examining the recovered Predator items, one of the shells in the background contains the Xenomorph tail spear from Aliens vs. Predator. Oh, that's, I like that. Attention to detail. Even though it wasn't a very well-loved movie or financially successful, you know, it's still part of the mythos. When first seeing the Predator strapped to a table, her character calls the creature a beautiful motherfucker. A nod to the scene where Arnold calls the creature one ugly motherfucker, yeah. Like, all this stuff I kind of got. Well, not all of it, obviously, but the stuff that happened in the movie. Okay, not all, because that also happened kind of in the movie The Son of Peter Keys. If I'd maybe watched Predator 2 recently, I might have picked up on it. Because then, you know, the resemblance would be uncanny. I've lost my place. The line that discusses the validity of the name The Predator uh, was taken from a conversation that Olivia Munn had with her sister, who had studied science prior to filming. Mm, well, that's cool. Shane Black, they're talking about well, it's not actually a predator, it's more of a hunter. Or it's a, Predators don't hunt for sport, they just hunt to eat. Shane Black revealed that the rough cut was so dark it was nicknamed the night cut and led to reshooting the third act. Jesus. I wouldn't mind watching that. I think uh, Rainey would have maybe even liked it because that's the thing, the third act was just ridiculously over-the-top happy times. 
The actor Steve Wilder-Streege, God, who's that? 20th Century Fox removed his scenes a few days before Picture Lock when actress Olivia Munn informed the studio that he was arrested, charged, registered as a sex offender in 2010 after facing allegations that he attempted to lure a 14-year-old female into a sexual relationship via the internet. How does he get to the point where, you know, he's in the movie... God, like, no one checks the background. I know there was some talk about a stunt guy that had all sorts of history and a whole bunch of other people that just kept being in things. Steve Walder, IMDb, would not have uh, picked him as that kind of guy. He's just a young, handsome, rugged dude, you know? Not that it can't be people like that as well, but... He's a registered sex offender. He's convicted of two felony sex offences in 2010. So it took another actor to go, Hey, that guy. Yeah, I kind of recognise him from being in the news at some point. That's weird. I'm reading about his, I'm reading his bio and my internet died. And it literally just like navigated away from that screen. That's enough on The Predator. I'm going to give it a rating of... Well, I don't have the internet. I'll just have to free ball it. Um, let's see. Yeah, maybe a 6.5. I'm being pretty generous there. It was a lot of fun. I hadn't been out to the movies for a while. I was with a mate. It depends on the mood you're in. I was enjoying the popcorn. I was enjoying the the night out. So, yeah, I'm giving it a generous score. It's the first film where a human is bitten by a predator. I don't remember that scene at all. I'll skip the really long ones. Gary Chalk, who plays a poster worker, is known as the voice of Transformers Optimus Prime. Peter Cullen, the original voice of Prime, provided the Predator's voice in the original Predator. Well, that's a nice connection. The high school is named after the Predator producer Lawrence Gordon. They do a lot of that in movies. John Hopkins Uni is in the movie is a tribute to the directors of the first two films in the franchise. Uh, it's J.H.U. is a real uni in Baltimore that has a highly renowned medical school. Oh, okay, John McTiernan and Stephen Hopkins. Do you see that? Do you see what they did there? Oh, I'm sorry, sometimes. Thomas Jane, Olivia Munn, and Boyd Holbrook all starred in non-MCU Marvel movies. Jane was the Punisher, Munn was in the X-Men, and uh, Holbrook was in Logan. Yep, I recognise them all. See, that's the same Thomas. Oh, yeah, Thomas Jane. He looks a bit different now. He's sort of gotten a little older. I don't think he could do the same things. It's, it's really not letting me... Look at the Steve Wilder stuff. Oh, now it's rebooted. Trivia. I wonder if there's more than just... Yeah, he's a sex offender. That's it. Finished high school at age 14. Wow. And his favourite book is The Little Prince. That's a strange thing to have in his trivia. Okay. So if he was in The Nice Guy... Nice Guys, as just... Wait, so he's got stuff still coming out. Like, he was, in, he was convicted in 2010. He was... In a short movie, The Death and Return of Superman, he was an annoyed Mandarin guard in Iron Man 3 in 2013. So he's worked with Shane Black before. He was in The Nice Guys as a Lawyer in 2016, The Last Man Club as Dr. Cliff Darby, Swing State, Dirty Lies, 2017. And he's got stuff that's in post-production now, like full-on big movies. So that's a little uh, confusing. Obviously... Being convicted sex offender does not stop you from working. Like Misfits, four broken single geeks hire a life coach. 
So he doesn't get big roles. But yeah, it's a little, little disturbing. And I could see him playing like some random... Like he's just one of those rugged bearded dudes. There's a couple of shots of him in like camo gear with the soldier hat and all that sort of thing. Which is probably what he was playing in uh, The Predators. But yeah, he was in The Nice Guys six years after his convictions with Russell Crowe and Ryan Reynolds as some kind of lawyer. So, there you go. They don't always do their checks. Or maybe they do and they just don't care. Until someone like Olivia Munn's like, yeah, can I not work with this guy? Like, I already have now. But this just kind of came up. Can I not be on the screen with him? That'd be good. Thanks. Cheers. So, maybe it's a Me Too thing. And if it is, that's a sign that it's working. It's good to get a second chance and all that. But I don't know. It might send the wrong message. The note left for... Jacob Tremblay's character contains the phrase, I will cut you. This is a phrase also said by Bill Duke character, Mac, for lots of callbacks. Olivia Munn's the first lead actress in the Predator series who is not of Latin American descent. There you go. The Predators feature had Alicia Braga. Uh, Munn is Asian American, of course. Boyd Holbrook pitched his script for The Thirst to John Davis while filming. Oh, it looks like that's getting made, which is good. Boyd Holbrook, I'm going to have to look him up. Alright, so Boyd Holbrook, he's the main character. <laughs> and I think he works. He was in Narcos. He's easy on the eye. Uh, he was also in Logan as one of the main bad guys. So I think it works for him. It's weird that he's so young. He's like 37. Wow, okay, so he's just a little bit younger than me. He looks younger than that. I guess working out has its benefits. But Benicio del Toro, how old is he? Like 50 something? It's not filling it out. I'm just going to put in Benicio. There we go. So he's 51 years old. I was pretty close. He was too busy. He's getting plenty of work now, so that's good. So back to... I can see why they might have gone for him, considering the loose... I, that's the thing that Ronnie really liked about the movie, is all the scenes in the unit that they just assemble pretty quickly, because they're all supposedly mental work really well like the chemistry between them the dynamic it's just is it's really i could watch them all in a series or something it was a lot of fun uh, unfortunately they don't all make it through the movie so that might be a bit tough shane black wrote the predator and the last boy scout right boyd halbrook's character drops a homage piece of dialogue touch me again and i'll kill you the exact statement said by bruce willis in a key scene from that movie last boy scout I don't know if that's a homage or a lazy writing. Trivia may give away plot points. Well, I don't care. You've seen it already, right? Huh? Huh? Hey? The original ending features a cameo by Dutch. After defeating the super predator Quinn, Casey and Rory are resting when a helicopter lands. I think Rory is his son. Dutch, described with a face haunted, etched by pain, steps out and tells the three of them he has to come with them. Schwarzenegger read the script and turned the offer down. <laughs> yeah, I can kind of say why. I guess... It didn't really fit for him. After reading the script, I'm not really surprised. It's good to know that he does have a bar. Like There's a certain bar that has to reach for him to be in it, even though he's done some pretty cheesy movies. Uh, the Halloween scene when Rory first wears the biomask, the original Predator suit that Jean-Claude Van Damme wore for the first Predator film is seen. The suit was eventually abandoned when John McTiernan and Stan Winston decided to redesign. Thank God they did. Because it just looked like the weird mutant lobster. Not scary at all, just goofy. Trivia. 
They see some motorcycles parked nearby when escaping from the bus. Yeah, I remember that. I was like, really? They're just lying around an army base? Williams yells, get to the choppers. A throwback to the line from Predator, made famous by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Later in the movie, Quinn is asked by Tregear, so I don't know who those are, like just by name, to surrender since the Project Stargazer group had seven and the Loonies only had six. The sniper took out one of the Stargazers to even the numbers. McKenna asked Traeger, who taught you math? That same line is asked by Val Kilmer to Harry in 2005's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Also written by Shane Black. How many times is he just going to recycle lines? I don't know if this is a homage or just he has like a set list of lines that he has to recycle. The ending scene features a pod left behind for the humans by the fugitive predator. When it's open, an artifact filled with black glue slowly rises and sends a message in alien writing to Rory's computer. It's called the Predator Killer. The artifact then attaches itself to one of the scientists and it uh, is revealed to be an Arnhem and Nanotech suit. Dr. Yamada then asks, what the hell is that? And Quinn says, that's my new suit, Bubba. Hope it comes in a 42 long. And to the Predator, well, that's not really trivia. That's just what happens. Why would you put that there? Strange. Goofs. Surely there's going to be plenty of those. Oh, yeah. Character, factual, continuity. She has a few revealing mistakes. Well, I'm not really surprised. I don't think I've seen as many one of these things before. There's been two encounters with the Predator, 87 and 97, yet the spear can be seen on display. He should have said there's been three attacks, 87, 97, and 2004. Yeah, well, everyone noticed that. Any Anyone that's somewhat a fan of Predator sort of picks up on that. It was more than just two movies. And by the way, like Predator 2 came out in like 1990. So if you're going to run by like timing, then it was already off. Maybe I'm just thinking Predator 2 was set later on. Like it was, it came out in 90, 91, but they might have said it was set in 97. So that, that would be a okay, but I'm not going to go and check. At the beginning, the ship flies above hills and mountains in full daylight, yet when it collapses in the forest, it's deep in the night. Yeah, I did notice that. That was a bit strange. Uh, they attempt to disable the spacecraft. The three men jump on board the ship, or Brackett stays behind on the ground. The vessel flies a considerable distance before crashing, and only McKenna survives. As he is battling the predator, Brackett deactivates her camouflage field, appears out of nowhere, and attacks the beast. There's no way she could have arrived from where she last stood in mere minutes. It would have taken her about an hour. I don't know how they get an hour because it's really unclear where the ship was. Like it went far to say it was an hour. They've just done some like space maths there. It definitely seemed like it went a lot further than she could get to it in minutes though. So we definitely picked up on that. Anyone with half a brain watching it is a little bit like, huh? Rory is in the athletic field patting the bulldog. He was wearing the gauntlet on his left arm as the kid. When he was wearing it on his left, the art scene switches, it's on his right. Okay, that's always going to happen. They move from arm to arm. If the military was going to interrogate a prisoner, they would not do so in the VA hospital. Beside it being a completely different department in the executive branch of the US government, it wouldn't have the necessary facilities to restrain or interrogate. The military would have used a clinic or hospital on an installation as they could lock it down. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. I like it. I don't think it's a huge deal, but... If you're American or have any familiarity with the system, the military, that would piss you off. 
The VAE would now have no authority to transport former, ser former service members in handcuffs. In fact, they couldn't even transport them against their will. There you go. And there's more on that, but we get the point. The upgrade predator sees an infrared and has a HUD display for his vision, despite the fact he doesn't wear a mask at all. His vision should be all red, as seen in the first installment, and the third installment when a predator doesn't wear his mask. However, the infrared point of view can be seen without his mask due to his inbuilt biotech biometric enhancements. Ah, that's an incorrectly regarded as goof. Yeah, well, that's what I would have thought. I was like, he's fucking so far down the chain of, like, evolution that they just don't even need a mask anymore. Plot holes. Early in the film, Traeger shows Brackett a photo from the 87 Predator encounter. This photo is a still of the Predator from the first movie taken from when the Predator decloaks coming out of the water. Considering the only person who survived seeing the Predator uncloak was Dutch, who took the picture? Yeah, well, satellites. Did briefly occur to me at the time, but yeah, we'll leave. While some National Guard units continue to fly the Huey for many years. All right, yeah, they're talking about... He stated he flew Hueys for three tours over there, which means over where, because the Huey was retired long before, by 1984, so he's too old, young to have been flying them. There would be no way Nettles would have flown for three tours or any at all in time for him to have returned to the US as a burnout pilot. Yeah. I didn't think of that. Uh, the re recovered pod that was jettisoned at the foot of the pod is engraved in bold font pod 03 in English. The area it is on appears to be the pod itself, a darker color than an adjacent area. It's not a drape or holding device manacle. The text engraved should be in predator font. Or they've got two other pods that they have studied in such detail that they have molded stations for holding them. Yeah, that's annoying. So I can uh, now go up and give it a score. I think I was just about to do before I'd move on. I didn't quite get there. I said 6.5, right? So I always lower the score when I look at how many stars there are. Like, it's weird that I rate this. Come on, let me do the thing. Uh, 5 is a bit harsh. I can't do a 6.5. Oh, Christ. Make it a 6. That's done. Okay, I can move on to the Emmys. Though, how far along are we? We're about an hour, so I won't really be covering the Emmys as much as I wanted to be. I, I'll just do the ones that I recognize. Outstanding directing for comedy. So there's all this stuff for The Marvelous Miss Maisel, which I haven't seen. So I can't really talk about that. I know that, like, literally the only one I've seen of all the comedy series is, is a bit of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And I wasn't a huge fan of that. Like, I started watching it on Netflix, and I was like, yeah, it's cool. It's okay. I can see why it's not winning, though. Let's see. Outstanding directing for a drama series. The Crown director, Stephen Daldry. I hear that's good, so good on him. Alan Taylor for Game of Thrones didn't get it. Jason Bateman didn't get it for Ozark. I would have thought both of those two would be pretty fucking amazing. Oh, wait, there's also Daniel Sackheim for Ozark, so obviously yeah, it goes episode by episode. Not They don't use the same director for the entire series. Variety special? No, who cares? Outstanding drama series. Game of Thrones won that. Um, Westworld was up there. As a nominee, I would have given it to that. I reckon it's better. Handmaid's Tale is pretty good as well. And Stranger Things. The Americans I haven't seen. But I'm going to hear it's good. Lead actor in comedy, Bill Hader as Barry. Still have to watch that. Uh, lead actor in drama, Matthew Reese and the Americans. Mm, that does look good. Darren Chris from The Assassination of Gianni Versace. 
got lead actor in limited series. Okay, not seen that. Sounds good. Lead actress in comedy, Rachel Brosnan. The marvelous Miss Maisel's just winning everything that's vaguely related to comedy. Lead actress for drama series, Claire Foy. It could have been Sandra Oh for Killing Eve. Good old uh, Grey's Anatomy actress. Outstanding. That's the first Asian American that's been uh, nominated as a lead actress Emmy, apparently. Outstanding lead actress in movie, hmm, Regina King, Seven Seconds. No idea what that is. Uh, limited series winner was that Gianni Versace thing. See, I've heard that true crime version of that. I didn't know it was good enough to make a movie out of. Fair enough. I mean, the dude running around killing people was pretty loopy. But, yeah, you know, obviously if it won this thing, there must have been enough in it to give it legs for a whole movie or slash limited series. If it turns up on Netflix, I'll give it a look. Actor in a supporting actor, Henry Link Winkler in Barry. Oh, you got to love the Fonz. He's still going around. Peter Dinklage for Game of Thrones. Drama series supporting actor, so good for him. He definitely deserves that. Uh, let's roll down a little bit. I'm going to skip some of them. Outstanding supporting actress in a drama series, Thandie Newton for Westworld. Good on her. I think she kind of swore when she got on stage. She's like a black version of always sort of goofing and tripping and, and things like that. And just so natural and real. Uh, what's her name? One that's really big now. She's like the second biggest. Like the biggest is probably... Why is Catherine Heigl coming to mind? Because it's not her at all. Scarlett Johansson is like the biggest. And then second would probably be this other. Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. So she's really disarming in public as well. Supporting actress in a limited series or movie, Merritt Weaver in Godless. Oh, that does look good. I've been meaning to watch that. Uh, sketch series, Saturday Night Live won that one. I haven't seen that for a long time. Variety talk series last week tonight with John Oliver. Gee, he just smashes it. I think he won a bunch of stuff last year and his ratings are through the roof. So good for him. Uh, God, the marvellous Mrs. Whatever again for, what was that, writing for a comedy series. And that's it. That's all of them. I thought there'd be more awards. Like the Oscars, they have like a thousand different awards. I can see why they do do it differently. This is mostly focused on TV. Uh, what's the other one I'm thinking of? I guess I had this mixed up with the Golden Globes because that's basically the same as the Oscars except not as uh, prestigious. So some winners and grinners there and a lot of stuff that goes on the list of things I need to watch. I hope this marvellous Miss Maisel thing's actually good because it's a bit of a... I'm not sure about the title. It doesn't grab me. All right, so that's it. Uh, I've talked about just happened upon the Facebook page that's going to distract the shit out of me. So before I do that, I will sign off. Uh, I'm just trying to remember, think if I've missed anything. There are the two movies. I saw Lewis. Pretty much that. Been working. The article's still kicking me in the ass. I will try and have another crack at that. But it's five o'clock. Let's see if I can make it to Jiu-Jitsu tonight. I was feeling a bit tired. But I really have to go to it at some point. What do I have to put in Gracie? Don't I? GB Blacktown. Time tables, Monday, fundamental, 6.30. Oh, but there's no excuse. I was hoping, a part of me was hoping it was already too late. It starts at 6.30 tonight. 8 o'clock tomorrow. 6.30 Wednesday. 8 o'clock Thursday. And 6.30 Friday. So there's really no excuse. I should be on the road by 6.15. Let's do it. All right, I will report back soon. 
Okay, otherwise, thank you for listening and enjoy the hell out of your week. Have a solid 60.